Introducing the new Yugo, a paramount engineering achievement from Yugoslavia. From busy traffic to rough terrain, Yugo will lead you anywhere. From the west to east coast, Yugo defeats the competitors. Reliability is his second name. Dependability and safety now have a totally new meaning. Do not hold your horses. Your dream of a tough, dependable car can finally be fulfilled. Buy yourself some freedom. Buy a Yugo. Yugo. More freedom for less money. This is Remembering Yugoslavia, the show exploring the memory of a country that no longer exists. I'm your driver, Peter Korchnak. The Yugo car starred in the very first episode of this podcast. Back in July 2020, I talked to Antonia Buntak, founder of Yugo Car Adventure, a company in Zagreb that uses Yugos for its tours. The first one was produced in 1978 and presented to Tito, who was the leader of Yugoslavia. Allegedly, Tito didn't like it that much. However, after he died in the 80s, the mass production of this car started. Total, there were 800,000 Yugos produced between the beginning of 80s and uh, 2008, when the last Yugo was produced in a factory in Serbia. 794,428, to be exact, between November 28, 1980 and November 11, 2008. Though it was named after a southern wind, the Yugo was truly a Yugoslav car. For example, most of the car's electrical parts were produced in Nova Gorica, Slovenia. The interior fittings were made in Split and brakes in Varaždin, Croatia. The engine's electrical parts were produced in Banja Luka, Bosnia and Herzegovina. Seat belts, locks and mirrors were made in Ohrid, Macedonia. A bunch of other parts and of course the car's assembly was done in Kragujevac, Serbia. An early idea for the Remembering Yugoslavia project had me drive a Yugo around the former country. I'd stop at Town Square, set a 1980s-era Made in Yugoslavia Unis typewriter on a folding table, and invite passers-by to type their answer to the question, what does Yugoslavia mean to you? I would end the tour at the abandoned Zastava car factory in Kragujevac, where I would set up in the middle of a former assembly hall and write my own answer to the question. If I were lucky, the yellow Yugo I saw on my visit there in 2019 would still be parked at the gate of the destroyed production complex. I still might do it someday, albeit with a documentary filmmaker in tow. For now, I live in the United States, and the storyline in that inaugural podcast episode that remained unexplored has been on my mind ever since. Out of those almost 800,000, 145,000 were sold in the US. It turned out to be a funny and failed idea to sell the Yugo car uh, to the US. However, this is what brought Yugo to its fame and glory. And now it's one of the best known cars in history. (laughs) The biggest problem is that Yugoslavia didn't understand the US mentality of the 80s and tried to sell this tiny little car that has no power steering, not uh, automatic shift and is a no AC. Uh, to the country that had Ford from the 50s that had AC, automatic and uh, power steering. So the country that has drove those huge cars with all those um, advanced technologies, then 30 years later we thought that that country and those people would enjoy and you go. Of course it was, it was, it was set to fail, however, as I said, the, if we didn't have that idea of selling the cars to Americans, Yugo probably would be forgotten and this way it will never be forgotten. 
it became a legend. So what happened? How exactly did a little car from Yugoslavia become a legend? And what of the Yugo now? In this, the 50th episode of Remembering Yugoslavia, Yugo goes to America. But before we get on the road, a word about the sponsors of this journey. You. Yes, it's you who makes this show go. Thank you and welcome new Patreon sustainers David and Noah. If you like what you hear, chip in for the proverbial gas with a donation. Visit rememberingyugoslavia.com slash donate and contribute today. The beloved Beetle. Once the lowest priced car in America. Dependable, basic transportation, but homely. Then it went away, leaving an emptiness in the hearts of America. Now Blossom introduces the Yugo. Lowest priced, dependable transportation. All we've said about the Beetle is true for the Yugo, but it isn't homely. The Yugo. At $39.90, it's the road back to sanity. And it's yours exclusively from Blossom Chevrolet. Nothing popularized or repopularized the Yugo better than the book The Yugo, Rise and Fall of the Worst Car in History by Jason Vuick. Published in 2010, it's the story of how the Yugo car came to the United States, how it shone bright and burned even brighter, and how it endures in American pop culture. I heartily recommend it. It's a great read, very informative, you'll laugh, you'll cry. Kind of like listening to this episode. If the name Vujic sounds Balkan, it's because it is. His grandparents, surnamed Vujic, came to the US in 1911 from the Kraina region, near Karlovac, in then Austria-Hungary, now Croatia. Vujic grew up in Florida, his family would travel to their ancestral country, and his relatives from various parts of the former Yugoslavia live up and down the eastern seaboard. And so for us, Yugoslavia was this broad homeland. You know, it was the old country, and it was just a very positive thing. In the 1990s, during the Milosevic era, Vujic lived off and on in Serbia, and later, in the early 2000s, in Croatia. He got a PhD in history from Indiana University. He spoke to me from Fort Worth, Texas. In the early 2000s, he faced the same conundrum as I did studying the former Yugoslavia. The piles of books about that country in the late 1990s, early 2000s, mostly dealt with the country's violent dissolution. There was very little out there at the time that dealt with Yugoslavia's popular culture. So he wrote down a list of possible topics. And then it hit me, the Yugo. Every American over the age of 40, 45 remembers this car. And so I began looking into it, and the story was too good to be true. Welcome to the auto show. We need an inexpensive, dependable, first car. <laughs> See the Yugo. I need a tough little car. See the Yugo. We need a safe, economical, second, second car. car. Oh, see the Yugo. For most of the reasons you need a car, the Yugo is all the car you need. Wow, $39.90. Maybe you don't want to spend more than $39.90 for a new car, but until now, you've had to. Everybody needs a Yugo sometime. Yugo, $39.90. So what is the story? How did the Yugo end up in the United States of America? When Yugoslavia broke from the Soviet Union in 48, the United States immediately moved in with most favored nation status, with anything it could do with low interest loans, deals with Coca-Cola and Boeing and Dow and Westinghouse, you know, anyone that could help keep Tito afloat, do whatever we can do to help the Yugoslavs stay independent of the Soviet Union. So Tito went from being a commie <laughs> to being a maverick. The problem was Yugoslavia ran up about $20 billion in debt. They were a little bit profligate. In general, they wasted a lot of the money. Yugoslavia was desperately in need of hard currency throughout its history. It needed to import computers. It needed to import tools. It needed to import the technology for all of its factories that Tito was so desperate to build 
to get this communist experiment off the ground, that cost a lot of money. And so you would have to sell your raw goods, your coal from Serbia or, or anything else that anything would buy in the West in order to pay for these items. Now, what was Zastava? Zastava was an armaments factory, but it was a big industrial concern in Kragujevac. While it no longer produces automobiles, Zastava continues to manufacture weapons to this day. Some of their production, like rifles and machine guns, have been spotted in recent years in Syria, Iraq, and the Sahel region of Africa. And so concerns like Zastava, big industrial concerns employing thousands, desperately needed hard currency. Zastava has to buy rubber. It has to import the rubber, but it's not going to pay for that rubber in dinars. It's got to pay in dollars. It's got to pay in marks. And so companies like Zostava, many companies were trying to sell their goods on the world market. And so Zostava was looking to sell its cars. Really, no one at Zostava thought America was possible. 1984, 1985, right? Tito's gone. Things are not getting better. You know, things are getting worse. You start to see national problems popping up. So this is a bad time. You have to think about communist countries and developing countries that don't make cars and that don't have oil. Imagine what just one car means in terms of hard currency leaving the country. And so these communist countries were desperate to produce their own cars, and it's very expensive. And so one way to do that was to import dated technology from countries that were uh, producing cars, companies that were producing cars that no longer needed the older cars. And so Fiat uh, began making deals with East European countries, giving them the stamping machines, the printing presses, you know, all the things you need to produce the Fiat, for example, or the Yugo in exchange for future orders of parts or for other items that could then be given to Fiat. Fiat was a huge conglomerate that could then be sold. And it might not even be car parts. Bartering was very, very important in the communist world and very, very important in the developing world. The first Yugos were shipped to Central America for bananas. Besides the fact that your citizenry wants to be mobile, that a developing country needs to start building roads, better roads. And so the automobile was central to the rise of communist Yugoslavia, the mobility of Yugoslavs. And so that's where the Yugo comes from, from this desire of the Yugoslavs to, to be mobile, but to produce a car and not lose the hard currency to the West. It's interesting, too, that unlike in, in the United States, you didn't have competitors. So when Zastava made a car, there was no one else making a car that would compete with the Fiat, with the Yugo, uh, in, in various other cars, the 101. And so the Yugo and, and those cars were simple appliances that you would learn how to fix yourself. And so from the very beginning, these cars weren't very good. They were poor copies, poorer copies of not very good cars from Italy. I mean, they weren't bad cars. They were, they were appliances. The Yugo didn't have a stereo. They didn't even have a glove box. <laughs> and so this was the type of car that was made by Zastava. There was no sense that we have to be in tune with the market in market needs. The idea is to make as many of these cars as people need. And hopefully then we can start exporting these things to again make hard currency. At that same time, you had this great industrialist Armand Hammer. Armand Hammer was the owner of Occidental Petroleum. And Occidental was famous for going around the Eastern Bloc making deals, usually deals that didn't come of anything. Armand Hammer saw himself as this big international friend of East and West. 
And he first came together with Zostava and Genex about possibly drilling for oil in the Adriatic. And in exchange for his expenditures, being given thousands of Yugos, thousands of Yugos, which he would have to sell. He realized that was a losing effort. And then it went on to another um, small time, uh, actually a Czech car guy in, in Los Angeles who had a, a small agreement with Zostava to maybe bring over a few cars to see if that would work. And then finally, it fell to a man named Malcolm Bricklin. And this is where communism and crazy entrepreneurial capitalism meet and form the basis of this wild story, Malcolm Bricklin. Born in 1939, Malcolm Bricklin is an American serial entrepreneur. He has started over 30 companies, mostly in the automotive industry. By all accounts, including Vuicks in the book, he has boundless energy. Morgan Spurlock has noted Bricklin goes nonstop and that he's testosterone unleashed, a brilliant negotiator and an incredible character. The Rolling Stone magazine has described him as brash, bombastic, and pathologically prone to betting the farm on pie-in-the-sky automotive endeavors. And according to the Auto Week magazine, Bricklin's mind works like a machine gun. Bricklin was a wheeler dealer. He's been studied in business schools in the United States as a serial entrepreneur. I never saw him as someone who was trying to rip anyone off. I saw him as so utterly invested in his idea that he would move mountains to do it. But the moment that idea failed, he was gone to the next idea. <laughs> Bricklin sold jukeboxes in the 60s and he sold scooters and those scooters led to Fuji in, in, in Japan and those scooters led to Subaru. And so he was the founder of Subaru of America. He brought over these really dinky little cars called the Subaru 360s. I made fun of them in the book. I got hate mail from Subaru 360 owners. Car owners are as loyal as Balkan nationalists are loyal to flags. Anyway, the Subaru 360 came over. It was a failure. Bricklin, though, was forced out. He was given a little bit of money. He was given some cars, and he moved on to the next thing, and that was a gull-wing door sports car, and it was called the Bricklin. Funky 70s disco car. It's really cool, and it really wasn't a good car. It didn't work, and Bricklin never had the money, and he went out of business again. And so he founded in the early 80s an import company to bring over Pininfarinas in Bertoni cars, and they were failing. So he's had this global experience of bringing over cars, and he's running out of money. And he is in England. He's got about a month left, 90 days to, to bring over a car, and he's trying to bring over the Aston, one of the Aston Minis or Rovers. And that fails. And he and his crew were walking down a London street, and they see a Yugo, J-U-G-O. And Bricklin was like, what is this Juggo? And they look at it and they're like, it's clearly a Fiat. Maybe we could bring this car over. Part of the Yugo exploding was Malcolm Bricklin making an arrangement, getting some investors. He has a dealer network already set up, but he doesn't have a lot of money. And he gets the Yugo for about $2,000 a car. In his book, Vuik extensively covers how the Americans worked with the Yugoslavs at Zastava to alter the Yugo for the American market. It was truly a clash of cultures, capitalism versus self-managing socialism. As Bricklin allegedly put it, we took this piece of crap car and within 14 months had made 528 changes to the car and set up 400 U.S. dealers. AP reported the high was 340 dealers. 
The cars come over. Marketed under the name Yugo GV, which stood for great value, with a range of leather trims, two different engines, and three different transmissions. There was also a Cabrio convertible. And Bricklin is now selling the Yugo, and he's got great ads. The Yugo, for only $39.90, is the choice of fun lovers everywhere. Did you know the Yugo is becoming a favorite on college campuses? Did you know Fort Lauderdale, 33 college kids stepped into one? Did you know Yugo is the official car of the U.S. volleyball so whether you're having a ball or spiking a ball, if you're into fun, get into a Yugo. Call 1-800-USA-YUGO and drive one today. Everybody needs a Yugo sometime. And he's got great guys working with him. And he just talks and talks and talks and sells and sells. And, and all three major networks in America, in those days we only had three big networks, all three covered the arrival of the Yugo. I mean, did long stories. There were waiting lists for Yugos. There were lines at Yugo dealerships. In the East, dealers are selling their Yugos before the cars are even off the boat. The reason seems to be the Yugos advertised $3,990 base price. My parents and I, we didn't really want one. We didn't need a little economy car, but we drove 100 miles to go look at one. <laughs> right? I mean, so the country was taken over by Yugo mania. Um, and that's what they called it, CNN. They called it Yugomania, car and driver, road and track. The biggest publications covered it. Automotive news. It was the biggest story of the day. The Yugo coming to the United States. Remember this date, Mark Knepper of Motor Trend wrote on August 16, 1985. That was the day scores of otherwise rational consumers went into a feeding frenzy at dealerships in the Northeast, attacking at first light, waving fistfuls of money and firstborn children in a fury that cowed even veteran salesmen. What was uh, fascinating to me was how the Yugo, the arrival of the Yugo, basically established or maybe reestablished uh, the small economic car market at the very bottom of the market, right? And all these car makers realized there is a market here and then pile in and that, of course, spells doom for the Yugo in the end. So both the Hyundai XL and the Yugo GV are more than funny foreign flukes. They just may be the first successful wave of a new low-price import invasion. When I was a kid in the 70s, there were a lot of little dinky Toyotas and Hondas and Datsuns, cars that would literally fall apart, but the engines would last and last and last. Reagan did a really stupid thing. Ford and, and the big three automotive makers did a really stupid thing. They were angry that the Japanese were cutting into their profits. They were angry that the small end of the market, which wasn't profitable for Detroit, was getting eaten up by the Japanese. And so they wanted to limit the number of Japanese cars that came to the United States. Well, the Japanese aren't stupid. They're phenomenal businessmen. They thought to themselves, well, why are we sending over a Civic <laughs> when we can send over a far better car, a bigger car? Why don't we compete in the mid-market where the money is? And so from the time I was a kid to the time I was in high school, Japanese cars became really nice and they became the cars that middle-class people wanted to own. And then they moved even further up market with Acura and Infinity, these things. And so once the Japanese were forced to move up market, there were no cheap cars at the bottom. And so the Yugo arrived in a vacuum. There was a period there when you could not buy a new car for, I, I don't know what, under eight, nine, ten thousand $10,000. The Yugo was $39.90 when it got off the boat. $39.90. That's about $10,300 today. The cheapest new car you can buy today is Chevrolet Spark for $13,600. 
Kathy and Wayne Osborne bought a Yugo. Why? The price. Terry Seiler jumped on the Yugo bandwagon, too. His reason? The price of the car. Henry Storm's reason for buying was a little more complicated. It's a lot cheaper than buying a used one. Buyer Kathy Bamford says, what's all this fuss about price? That's a less expensive car, but it's worth the money. Wait a minute. It's cheap, but worth the money? We're talking a phenomenon here. A little car based on a Fiat 128, but built in communist Yugoslavia, and then sold here for the recently unheard of base price of $3,990. The Yugo wasn't sold in every American state. It wasn't sold in California until 86. The car came out in August 85 in the East. Most Americans had never seen the Yugo. Most Americans to this day have never seen or driven or sat in a Yugo. There were only 150,000 sold. 141,651 to be exact. Sales peaked in 1987 at 48,812 Yugos. The low came in the car's final year in the U.S., 1992, at 1,412. This was a tiny percentage of the American market. Between 1985 and 1992, 115 million light vehicles were sold in the U.S. Hyundai sold 169,000 units of its Yugo competitor Excel in 1986 alone. So what Americans knew was on the news and in the media. Everybody needs a Yugo sometime. I bought my Yugo because now I can afford a brand new car. I think it's fun to drive, and it beats my old carpool. I like the rack and pinion steering and the front-wheel drive. We wanted a dependable second car. And this Yugo's just what we need. The 87 Yugo GV is still only $39.90. Call 1-800-USA-YUGO for the dealer nearest you. Everybody, Everybody needs a Yugo sometime. Americans love bargains. Americans love to show that they've got a bargain. They love bargain shopping. They love Walmart. They love secondhand shopping, right? They're proud of it, but they don't want things that are cheap, cheaply made. They want things that are cheap in terms of cost and price, but not cheap in terms of quality. And so the Yugo just was a 60s era design built in the 70s. So this is a late 70s car that's now competing with Americans' expectations for what imports look like in Civics and Preludes and Accords. These were some of the nicest cars in the world. And so once people saw the quality of the Yugo, you know, cheap plastic, door handles breaking in your hands, loud. It was a very loud car, one of the loudest cars sold in America. Even as a kid, and I remember at 13 years old getting in the car going, wow, this is cheap. It was as Spartan and utilitarian a car as Americans had seen in decades. All told, the Yugo design is a bit dated. And let's hope you live in a cool climate, because there's no air conditioning offered. Of course, there's no way of knowing how reliable the Yugo will turn out to be. But if past Fiat durability is any guide, buyers shouldn't exactly expect it to last forever. I've been all over former Yugoslavia in a Yugo. It never bothered me in the slightest. It was a car. I was happy to not be on a bus for once. But at the same time, Americans don't want that. It was just not understood by Zastava. The other thing that was fascinating to me from just, again, pop culture standpoint is how quickly the Yugo went from being an object of a mania to being basically the worst car in the world. The turning point of the car was that in 86, Consumer Reports magazine reviewed the Yugo. In the old days, 70s and 80s, three and a half million subscribers a month would read Consumer Reports and whole companies would collapse when Consumer Reports gave them bad reviews. 
When I was 16, my dad said, we're going to go look for a used car for you. Go get consumer reports. I actually found the man in charge of car reviews for consumer reports. And I spoke with him and he said it was an old Fiat. There was nothing wrong with it. They said, it's not a very good car. It's not put together very well. But the question is, is it worth $39.90? Is it better to buy a good used car or a new Yugo? And they said, no, it's better to buy a good used car, meaning a Honda Civic, a Toyota Tercel. That was it. And once that hit, the sales collapsed. The Consumer Reports review noted the Yugo's acceleration from 0 to 60 miles per hour at 18.5 seconds. By the way, the 1986 Hyundai Excel did the same in 13.5 seconds, and the 2021 Chevy Spark in 15 seconds. The engine struggled and strained to climb highway grades and high gear, the transmission was easily the worst the reviewing team encountered in years, and the interior was covered with cloth that resembled towel material. Other reviews weren't that much more generous. Nothing remarkable to report, but nothing bad either. It got me there and back, and that's the idea here. The Yugo isn't much on styling, but it doesn't claim to be. It's tiny and boxy. Yugo's trunk, extremely small. And getting into Yugo's rear seat is almost as hard. You've got to lift up the entire driver's seat to even try, and when we did, the seat usually would not relatch to the floor. Even worse, we think, the seat wouldn't lock in position on its tracks and would abruptly slide back on its own, a potentially dangerous defect. Yugo's interior is spartan, and as you can see, attention to detail leaves something to be desired. Listen to the sound of this dash light dimmer. The Yugo is not a quiet car. In fact, it's one of the noisiest we've driven. There doesn't seem to be much insulation between the engine compartment and the passenger compartment. And in our bumpy road test, we found Yugo to be unforgiving. The ride is harsh and passengers feel everything. In the handling department, Yugo's steering wheel is positioned uncomfortably high. Without power assist, it's hard to steer. And our Yugo was so badly out of alignment that if you let go of the wheel, it veered sharply to the right. But if you can hold on to that wheel, Yugo does hug the road. It had nothing to do with the politics of it. That's the odd thing. It had nothing to do with communism or Yugoslavia. The average person had no idea where Yugoslavia was. When it went down, it had nothing to do with the fact that it was produced by a communist country. I assume before I started the book that it had something to do with the CIA pushing a Yugoslav product or the State Department. I mean, they were all there in the background, but they were pushing other things. It was Bricklin and Zastava. Once they met, they wanted to bring this car to the US and they tried incredibly hard to do it. You know, it hit me one day that I was telling the story of a communist made car sold in Ronald Reagan's America. How was that possible? And when I looked it up, it was completely possible because no one cared. <laughs> no one cared. They cared about the car and the quality of the car, and it was a consumer fad. Recently, we punished a Yugo in the rugged 8,000-mile One Lap of America rally. The same Yugo that handles everyday traffic beat 40 tough competitors. The same dependable Yugo you rely on every day. Outperformed Honda, Nissan, Porsche, even Jeep. No wonder more and more people are finding Yugo, the toughest, most dependable cars a little money can buy. And then the late night hosts got involved. Johnny Carson, Jay Leno, David Letterman. And then that led to other comedians. There were jokes about Yugo's speed. How do you make a Yugo faster? Use a tow truck. How do you make a Yugo go from 0 to 60 in less than 15 seconds? Push it off a cliff. 
jokes about its safety. The Yugo comes with an airbag. You also need a bicycle pump, so if you see an accident coming, you better start pumping. Why are Yugo cars like corned beef? They both come in tin cans. Jokes about its reliability. What comes with every Yugo user's manual? The bus schedule. What do you call a Yugo that breaks down after 100 miles? An overachiever. Jokes about its features. Yugo has come out with a very clever anti-theft device. They made their name bigger. What do you call passengers in a Yugo? Shock absorbers. How do you double the value of your Yugo? Fill the gas tank. From oil changes to brakes to tune-ups, customers feel confident knowing Midas Total Car Care has their car running in top shape. She's running great. Let's jump the bridge. But where do you go? Yugo, what are you going to do? And pretty soon the Yugo works its way into television, into movies. The Yugo makes a semi-serious appearance in the 1987 film Dragnet, starring Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks. After losing the two previous vehicles we had been issued, the only car the department was willing to release to us at this point was an unmarked 1987 Yugo. A Yugoslavian import donated to the department as a test vehicle by the government of that country and reflecting the cutting edge of Serbo-Croatian technology. In episode 6 of season 5 of the TV show Moonlighting, Bruce Willis's character gets a Yugo as a present from his business partner and employees. For you. Me? This car? This car! Well, yeah, I can't accept this car. I mean, for, for no good reason. It's not for no good reason. There are lots of reasons. You shouldn't have done this. I can't. You guys really shouldn't have done I can't. I can't accept this. Well, think of it as a company car, then. Your company. It's a real sweetheart of a chariot, sir. <laughs> Great mileage. But it goes like a bat out of hell. It is pretty peppy. Yeah, I can't wait for the chase scene. A chase scene is what Bruce Willis gets later on in the episode, when a suspect steals the Yugo at a funeral and ends up swerving into an open grave. Bruce Willis then tosses a red rose on the car in mock grief and delivers the punchline. <laughs> Rest in peace. You know, Matty, part of me died with that car. It was actually just a week before this episode of Moonlighting aired in February 1989 that Yugo America Incorporated filed for bankruptcy. And later that year, on September 22, 1989, Leslie Ann Pluhar, a 31-year-old waitress from Royal Oak, Michigan, drove her Yugo off the Mackinac Bridge, which connects that state's mainland and the Upper Peninsula, and fell to her death 170 feet or 52 meters below. It took eight days to find a mangled car in the 100-foot deep waters of the Straits of Mackinac. Rather than Pluhar speeding, over four times the recommended limit, and losing control of the car, maybe with the help of a gust, the incident lives in memory as that of a lightweight Yugo getting swept off the bridge by high winds. It didn't help the car's reputation. The Yugo, again unnamed, makes an appearance in another chase scene in the 1994 film The Crow, where again a baddie steals it and has something to say when the car breaks down. Oh shit! Bruce Willis took a spin in a Yugo the following year in Die Hard with a Vengeance, along with Samuel L. Jackson. The duo is chasing bad guys around New York, and they commandeer a Yugo to do so. What kind of engines this piece of shit have? Come on, it's step a on Yugo. It. It's built for economy, not speed. The Yugo got its biggest role in 2000 in Drowning Mona, starring Casey Affleck, Neve Campbell, Jamie Lee Curtis, Danny DeVito, and Bette Midler, with Will Ferrell making a delightful cameo. In 1985, the Yugo Car Company chose Verplank, New York to test its new vehicles. 
But that's a whole other story. You know Mona dearly? What about her? She was proceeding southbound on Route 9 when apparently her vehicle was involved in a 21107. What? She drove into the river. She's dead, Wyatt. Mona dearly lived a good life. Every car in the movie, save for the police vehicle and a main character's landscaping pickup, is a Yugo. The Yugo actually goes unnamed in the fun little flick. In my experience, wakes aren't very well attended. No one's gonna come. Not with the game on. I got money on that game. You and everyone's mother. <laughs> Drowning Mona. And in 2011, Disney's holiday film Good Luck Charlie, It's Christmas features a Yugo as a classic punchline when two characters on their way to a Christmas reunion get stranded in the middle of nowhere. Tell you what, I do have an old Yugo I can tell you. A Yugo? Mm -hmm. What's a Yugo? It's a car that's 10 years older than you, built in a country that no longer exists. It's 50 bucks. We'll take it. Okay, 50 bucks. Yep, worth every penny, every penny. Now, you might want to baby her a little. She's seen better days. When? Hey, uh, Daryl, you sure it won't fall apart at 60 miles an hour? Oh, don't you worry. She won't go near that speed. <laughs> the mother-daughter duo wake up in the car, which promptly falls apart before their eyes. Hey, wake up, wake up. We're burning daylight. Oh, the worst dream. No, it's real. Let me get my seat up. I'll help. Don't break the car. I'm not gonna break the car. Don't be ridiculous. We can fix that. Long story short, since its arrival in the US in 1985, the Yugo has been a pop culture phenomenon, albeit one that went from fat to farce in the proverbial 18.5 seconds. But probably not that. In America the 80s, you were what you wore and you were what you drove. This is Tommy Hilfiger and Guess and Gucci and Mercedes. And this is the era of shop to you drop and flaunt it if you got it. And no one wanted to be caught dead. No young person. And those are the buyers of economy cars in America. No young person, when I was in high school, wanted to be caught dead in a Yugo. I would have walked 10 miles to prom rather than drive in a Yugo. There's nothing wrong with the car. It's just the marketing of the car and the buyers of the car. Other little dinky cars came, the Yugo was the Fiat 127 and the Fiat 128 put together. Those cars came to America and no one made fun of them. No one laughed at Fiat. I mean, you know, they say fix it again, Tony, as a joke, but no one really cared when Daewoo and Daihatsu and all these companies failed. These little cars just don't work in America. It's American pop culture. Buy yourself a little freedom. Whenever my husband was at work, I was stuck without a car, but not anymore. Freedom everyone can afford. It has rack and pinion steering, front wheel drive, and a lot more. Surprised? We wouldn't have bought a car. We didn't believe it. Yugo, America's most affordable new cars. Not until the late 1990s did Jay Leno find another automobile make to pan, Hyundai.
They're like the Olympic Luge, three foot long vehicles that have to be pushed to get started and only go downhill. After Korean automakers entered the US market in the 1980s, they soon acquired a reputation for bad quality. My wife still remembers her first car, the erstwhile Yugo competitor, the Hyundai Excel, as the worst car that she and anyone she knows ever had. A 2001 survey of 95,000 Car Talk fans, this is the famous national public radio show hosted by Click and Clack, the Tappet Brothers, gave Korean cars three of the top four spots on its list of the worst cars in America. For now, Korean is still America's favorite synonym for lemon, commented the Newsweek. Just a year earlier, Car Talk listeners made a different sort of a statement in the poll. It's time to announce the worst car of the millennium. Oh, the worst car of the millennium. Drum roll, please! <laughs> I'll, I'll read a few comments from some of our voters. I once test drove a Yugo during which the radio fell out. The gear shift knob came off in my hand and I saw daylight through the strip around the windshield. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> At least it had heated rear windows so your hands would stay warm while you pushed. <laughs> we so, should mention that the Yugo got a third of the total vote of those 25,000 or 250,000. Well, that tends to cast a pretty good light on the other cars. I mean, they just barely made it. They just barely I mean, made it, right. The Yugo could have gotten 100% of the votes. Vuik's book came out a decade later, so the verdict had already been cast. The big huge question is, was the Yugo really the worst car in history? In the United States, the Yugo in the 1980s was uniformly, widely known as the worst car in the world. Okay, now, was that fair? When I started the book, I didn't know. But when I wrote this, it came out in Serbia. I got hate mail. <laughs> I got nasty letters, written letters, not emails. And I'm like, read the book, man. The bottom line is that the Yugo was sold in the United States, which means it was absolutely not one of the worst cars in history. The fact that it passed U.S. emission standards, the fact that it passed crash standards means that the Yugo was better than a huge number of cars produced around the world. Peugeot left the American market. Citroën didn't try. Fiat left the American market. The Yugo came. So that alone shows that it was a decent appliance. The Yugo was not the worst car in history. It was sold in the United States. Even Mercedes would design these cars first and foremost for Germany, and then they would want to sell them in the United States, and they would have to have enormous expenditures of money and know-how and engineering to get the cars up to our emission standards. The Yugo made it on the American market. No other communist car made it in the American market, and the Yugo figured out how to do it. Which aroused some feelings in Yugoslavia. I find it fascinating how Yugoslavia briefly inserted itself into the world automotive conversation with this Yugo car and how people in Yugoslavia were really excited. I have a number of old Yugoslav car magazines from all over the country, and they were just incredibly excited. They were so proud, so proud that they could enter the American market because many countries could never do it. Many countries with cars could never do it. Fiat had left the American market. Now the Yugoslavs are going to try? <laughs> Good luck with that. And there was an optimism there that I hadn't seen since the optimism of the 60s and the 70s. There was some hope that Yugoslavia can make it. That look at us. Tito's gone, but look at us.
we hopped on Atlantic Avenue. You know, we're cruising along. I look up and I see this girl. She doesn't have a top on. Look at the cans on that bimbo. Snoy pull up to us and baby, you ain't got no top on. She goes, who's that fat guy? And that monkey vomit green Hugo. And what's he yelling at me for? I said, baby, I drive a Hugo. My name's uh, Big Al Staggs, and about 33 years ago, it was uh, the summer of 1987, to be exact, I had written a song called I Drive a Yugo. It was really the second song that I ever really wrote in my life. At the time, I was in college in Norfolk, Virginia, and there was a uh, punk rock club called The Corner, and they had an open mic night, and I had a roommate, and we had written a song, and we went up there to improv it, and... uh, At the end of that, the sound engineer, we turned out to be my sound engineer that toured when we went on the road with the Ramones many years later, ran up to me and says, hey, if you come back, we'll record you. So that following week, we came back and we were on the uh, stage and we only knew a couple of songs. You know, we were making stuff up as we go. And one of my uh, college buddies, for whatever reason, he said, and, and this was his quote, write about that piece of shit car you go is what he said. That was the exact quote. His name was Leo. I'll never forget him. And I said, okay. And the guitar player busted out three chords and I proceeded to tell a story. And I have all kinds of uh, exciting adventures in the song. It was completely improv that night. We went in the studio and actually recorded it, and then we sent it out to the local radio station, and they were like, this is a great song, and they put it in rotation. So I was on the radio three to four times a day with this song, and I have to be honest with you, it's really hard to believe that the song did as well as it did over the years. And then, next thing you know, the the Yugo was intertwined in my life. <laughs> so the song actually got me signed to a record deal. <laughs> About uh, a year later. The band is left-wing fascists, the album is Mother's Nightmare, and it can be yours, along with its first track, I Drive a Yugo. If you live in the U.S. and own a Yugo car with a tape player, Stags will give you a cassette of Mother's Nightmare. You only have to cover the mailing costs. Simply email a photo of your Yugo to yugo at rememberingyugoslavia.com, and we'll take it from there. The record company decided to buy us a Yugo when we did our record release. A friend of mine had one that uh, was on its last leg. I remember it was white. And uh, they bought the record company bought it for $100. So they bought us this Yugo, and they decided that they were going to put it in the middle of the concert venue. The concert venue was a, a good concert venue back in this. No longer there. It was called the Boathouse. And it was out on the water. So they, <laughs> they put this car in the middle of the Boathouse entrance inside. And we got to spray paint it, you know, with all this fluorescent spray paint, you know, looked like a bunch of skateboarders had ridden riding across it. And it was totally insane. And there it was. The show did great. You know, we sold a lot of units that night. It was a successful concert. And um, after we left, we left the car there. (laughs) So the rumor has it is that the uh, stage guys and the bouncers got tired of it being in there. And um, this was on the Elizabeth River. so. 
one day they decided to pick up the car and they threw it right off the pier into the Elizabeth River. Where it rests well, till today. I thought it rested today until when they tore the building down, they had to go in and completely dredge around the actual boathouse, you know, with the peering, and they did find it, and they dug it up, and they pulled it out of the water. <laughs> it's no longer around now, but, uh, you know, there was all kinds of uh, crabs and stuff in it. It's <laughs> barnacles all over the seat. <laughs> I Drive a Yugo remains the left-wing fascist best-known song. The song did some notoriety, and we started doing some traveling. It's really another crazy quick story. <laughs> is we were driving on our way to play a, a big show in, in a town about seven hours away and my truck broke down and the police came and, and gave some of us a ride. But it just so happens that our friend Eleanor was in a Yugo and she came pulling up on the interstate behind us. <laughs> we actually got saved by that red Yugo. I'll never forget it. Uh, she gave us rides to the hotel because we, we never made the show. Uh, so I've been saved by a Yugo. And I've watched a Yugo get sunk. <laughs> What's really interesting to me is the amount of people that reach out to me and say, hey, I drove one of those. In 1986, thousands of people bought a Yugo GV as an affordable first car. And thousands of families bought it as a dependable second car. Thousands more preferred it to the uncertainty of a used car. What sold all these people was the car. What attracted them was the price. Introducing the new 87 Yugo GV. Still only $39.90. For the dealer nearest you, call 1-800-USA-YUGO. Everybody needs a Yugo sometime. I learned about the song from Vuig's book. I was in a, in a Goodwill or Salvation Army, you know, one of these secondhand goods stores. I looked and I saw that book and I was like, what in the world? And just out of curiosity, I bought it for a dollar because I thought, wow, this is really cool. And I don't know, but I I just happened to flip through it. And I, I believe it was like the eighth or ninth page in. He's talking about left-wing fascists. And I, I was just so taken back that we made this book. You know, it's just crazy how that group is associated with the car. It's amazing to be a part of this subculture and uh, to still have legs so many years later, this song you know, to give an example, I, I wrote a song called about Kmart, you know, and Kmart went out of business and no one no one talks about Kmart or brings my song up the way that they do with the Yugo. So that, that tells you something right there that the Yugo is way more important than Kmart was in our history here in the States. <laughs> I still get a pretty good royalty check for that song. It, it averages a, a few hundred plays a week or a month on Spotify and Apple. People continue to play the song constantly. Staggs still performs. In fact, he has a new album coming out soon, so check it and the past releases out on Apple or YouTube. I've included the links in the episode's transcript at rememberingyugoslavia.com slash podcast. For his day job nowadays, Staggs is a high school economics and personal finance teacher. What I used to do, this was terrible, but when I would see him in parking lots, I would put left-wing fascist stickers on him, on the bumper. I thought it was cool. <laughs> Some high-level uh, vandalism right there. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, you know, I have not seen any in the parking lots in quite some time, you know, which is sad, but I haven't, I haven't seen one on the road, no, sir. I would like that very much. Well, we figured we better get out of that place, so we hopped on Interstate 44. You know, we're cruising along. I look up, and I see the tofu. And I ain't got no quarter. 
saved $4,000 buying that piece of crap foreign car, and you can't come up with a quarter? I said, lady, I drive a Hugo. I drive a Hugo. In 1995, the artist Kevin O'Callaghan asked the students and alumni at the New York School of Visual Arts to make artworks out of defunct Hugo cars. Take a Hugo and turn it into something useful, went the brief. Give it a new life other than the one it was intended to have. All in all, 29 Hugos purchased for a total of $3,600 became art pieces. A cinema, a shower stall, a confessional, a fireplace, a foosball table, a cigarette lighter, a post office box, a shooting range, a telephone, a slot machine, a submarine, a subway car, a toaster. The artist transformed the Yugo into all of these things and more. What's this one? This is my piece. This is a Yugo baby grand piano. And how much did it cost you to complete this? A lot of money. This is the most expensive piece in the show. This is my senior year right there. My grandmother passed away a couple years ago, and when the concept first came out, I didn't know how I could afford to do this piece. And um, as luck would have it, she sent me a check from her estate, so that covered a mid majority of the... Was it cost. thousands of dollars to do this? Mm-hmm. Multiple thousands? It was over $10,000. It was over fifteen. After the vernissage at New York's Grand Central Terminal, the show You Go Next went on a 28-city tour around the U.S. and Canada. The National Endowment for the Arts in Washington, D.C. described You Go Next as one of the greatest ever examples of public art. The same year, the legendary Jim Ruiz group released their debut album, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Track number two, My Bloody You Go. I tracked Jim Ruiz down in Minneapolis, where he works as a librarian. You wrote, performed, recorded a song about a Yugo. So tell me about the song, how the song came about, why did it come about, where did it come from? I had a Yugo, and um, I was thinking about um, death and, and um, how this Yugo could live longer than I would. And uh, I just thought it was kind of funny. A lot about that first record is about death. This sprang from a personal experience of a loved one's death, not from driving his Yugo, Ruiz clarified. It did have that reputation as being a death trap. It wasn't considered that safe, but I was just in love with it, so I didn't care about that. I drove that Yugo across the United States. It was a great car. I drove from Minnesota to San Diego in that thing. I think I drove back and forth from to the West Coast a couple times in it, and it was just a great car. I loved driving it. Yeah, and I nearly died in that Yugo, actually. <laughs> I was driving. It was on one of these cross-country trips, and um, I don't know if I was in the mountains or near the mountains, but it was just pouring rain, and I could barely see. And then I, I saw this uh, a large deer jump 
over the front of my car. I couldn't believe it happened. I was like, did that just happen? I mean, that thing would have gone right through the windshield if I hit that thing. So it was a close call. Why did you buy it? Probably 90, 91 I bought it. First, I looked in the blue book to find out what car had the absolute lowest resale value. Then I get it for cheap. It came down to, there were two cars. One was the Chrysler K car, and then there was the Yugo. I went to see a Yugo first. I remember the moment I opened the hood, and I saw the full-size spare, and I saw the size of the radiator. And I thought, this is insane. I love this. I was just sold. I was like, oh my, I've never seen anything like this. And um, it was so cool. I thought I was just getting a cheap car, but I was getting a really good car. I didn't realize it. It just handled really good. I mean, it was just light. It was so simple. I guess it got a lot of reactions when you're driving a Yugo. Like, a lot of people reacted to to you. This one time in the mountains of Idaho. I pulled in a gas station, and I got out of the car, and this guy comes tearing out of the gas station. He's like, what is that? <laughs> He's just like, you'd never say anything like it. He was just, he was just. Yeah, it was kind of a statement to own one of those things. You got some grief about it sometimes, but I didn't care. It was probably the most un-American car you could drive. I remember I was considering becoming a house painter, and the teacher didn't like it. He didn't like that I had a Yugo. He didn't like that I had a foreign car. But I was willing to entertain in my mind that maybe an auto worker in Yugoslavia had a better life than a auto worker in Detroit. You speak in the past tense, so I'm guessing you don't have the Yugo. So when did you get rid of the Yugo or what happened with the Yugo? Well, I didn't want to get rid of the Yugo. What happened was it threw a rod. One of the rods failed and it, the piston smashed the top of the cylinder. So it was totaled. Cars in Minnesota rust, so it wasn't going to last forever, that's for sure. I probably had it a good three, four years before that happened. Is it the snow? It's the salt on the snow. A car from a Southeast European country wasn't equipped for Minnesota winters. But it did have the just these great tiny tires, which meant that I could get really cheap tires. So I was just in heaven when I'd get new tires. <laughs> I did have another Yugo. A friend of mine was also into Yugos, and he sold me a, a red Yugo, but that one had a sad short life. I didn't attach to that one. Like Staggs, Ruiz is quite amazed at the endurance of his Yugo song. It's funny how that song has probably been used more than any of my other songs. Like, they played it at a Twins baseball game. They used the uh, horn part. It was on uh, Click and Clack on NPR radio. It's so weird what happens when you write a song. Like, 25 years later, I'm talking to someone about a... It's just insane. So when I'm gone, you'll understand me. And when I'm gone... What also endures is the Yugo itself. In Columbus, Ohio, Valerie Hansen is on her fourth Yugo. Previously, she had an 86, an 87, and a 91 Yugo, all of which she had to sell because she ran out of space in her garage. At least one of those Yugos still roams the roads of Ohio in the hands of a Serbian immigrant, Hansen told me. The Yugo she has now is a yellow 1984 Yugo 45. Hansen bought her Yugo in 2019 from a car parts supplier friend when she was looking for parts for another car. This may possibly be the only real Zastava Jugo in the United States. Mine was imported from Serbia 
in 2012. I spent way too much money rebuilding the engine. It's a 903cc engine. But anyway, money is no object. It's all about bringing them back. In rebuilding the engine, parts were coming from Serbia. I swear to God, my carburetor was stuck on that boat that got wedged in the Suez Canal. (laughs) No, I'm not kidding you. Six months. Six months, Peter. This is dedication. Hansen owns a number of other vehicles. An X-Ice Racing 97 Honda Civic, two second-generation VW Beetles, an 82 VW Rabbit pickup, and a 96 Toyota Previa minivan. But none of them inspires more passion than the Yugo. In fact, she's looking into buying another specimen right now. They're like Pringles, she says. You can't have just one. Hansen sees her Yugomania, which she funds from her pet grooming business, as a logical progression of her upbringing in a family of gearheads with Balkan roots. And it has a simple yet profound explanation. The Yugos were misunderstood. They were underdogs. They were the ones that everyone counted against. And I identified with that. At the time that the Yugo came about, it just made me feel at home. I've had Renaults, Citroëns, but it's more than a car. It's an idealism. It's the will to survive. Americans never got it. In the era that the Yugo came out, it was big horsepower. It was V8s. It was Shelby GT350s. The Yugo came out. It was cheap. It was affordable, and it was a workhorse. But I feel like the American people never embraced it. They never gave it the care that it needed. Come the apocalypse, what do you want to get stuck in? A Yugo that you can self-serve? Or a Tesla that you need 16 pages of schematics to work on? And where's the grid going to be when you need to charge? You can fix a Yugo with a butter knife and a rubber band, Hansen told the New York Times back in June. Compared to the Pinto, the Yugo is a Ferrari. (laughs) No, I've had a Pinto. (laughs) I've had a Yugo. Trust me. The Yugo is way safer. Comparable to the cars of that era, I think the Yugo outperformed them. All you had to do was basic maintenance. They were so cheap that the Americans thought they were disposable cars. And and they never did the maintenance, and then they got the bad name. They're unreliable. You know, you don't want to be seen. You don't want to pick up your prom date in one. It's just not right. Peter, here's what I want to know. Why does Jay Leno hate on the Yugos so much? You should ask him. Jay, if you hear me, we're coming for you. Me (laughs) and two of my friends are going to drive out there. We're going to do a runoff with the Chatra. 
What do people say who don't have any connections to Yugoslavia or to the Yugo? And do they just say, oh, this is this piece of crap car that you restored? Or uh, do they look down on you? Do they admire you for your fortitude? Basically, they're like, why did you spend so much money on this? If you have to ask, you don't understand. It's a symbol of we will survive regardless. They're amazing cars. You take care of the Yugo, they take care of you. The most important reason I love the Yugo, Hansen later wrote me in a direct message, is that it's a survivor. The Yugo has survived more than I will ever encounter. It's as much about the enduring spirit of the people as the car itself. In other words, Yugo has survived even though Yugoslavia is gone. She continued, When I drive the Yugo, as I look through the windshield, I try to imagine what all the people before me witnessed through the same windshield. Did you name your Yugo? Of course. What's his name? Peter. Come on now. It's Tito. (laughs) 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 It's Tito. (laughs) It's fantastic. Here in the US, I've never seen a Yugo in real life, only in the digital space, for example, in the Yugo America chat talk by cell group. Recent posts there include photos of a restored 88 GV driving again for the first time since 1989 a damaged red Yugo for sale in Indianapolis, and an overpriced fixer in Evansville, Kentucky. Quite a few postings of parts for sale, some requests for advice on how to fix things. It's quite a lively space where I would go if I indeed bought myself a Yugo as I jokingly suggested to my wife. Alas, I am the last thing from a gearhead, so I'd need a mint-preserved or restored vehicle to consider it. We chatted on Facebook that there's uh, somewhat of a community online, at least, uh, that's centered around the Yugos, buying, selling parts, uh, talking about this. Uh, what about in your immediate vicinity? Do you know other people with Yugos? Do you hang out? Do you race them? Do you do, you do donuts with them? Well, being front-wheel drive, you need a good e-brake to drift. But yes, uh, I have quite a few friends. There are quite a few Yugos in my area. If you are a person that is obsessed with Yugos, drive Yugos, it's a cult. The Columbus Cars and Coffees, we make a presence there. One of the great things that we did earlier this season, because the Yugos are so special to the Serbian, Yugoslavian, Macedonian culture, we went to the Macedonian Festival and... uh, The people, when they seen the Yugo pull up, they are proud of it. This is something that they did. And they flocked to the car. And and the old people were bringing their children, like the grandparents, to point it out. It was beautiful. And I opened the doors and the little kids were sitting in the Yugo. I was coming home from work. Yes, I daily, my Yugo. And I was at a light, and this guy pulls up in this BMW, and he rolls down his window, and he was clearly an older gentleman. He's like, Yugoslavia, in my country. It makes them smile. That's why we do it. Hansen estimates there are about nine other Yugos in Columbus today. In Columbus, Ohio. It's ridiculous. They're like secret pockets of Yugo owners. <laughs> and we go out and we terrorize Subarus that get stuck in the snow. <laughs> we drive past them. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. It's a real thing. 
That's great. <laughs> but but no, they are amazing in the snow. I have to tell you this. Literally, Columbus, Ohio is the crime central of the United States right now. I'm driving home from work, and I've got this hot rod Honda behind me. I'm driving by a crack house, and gunshots break out. I'm not making this up. The Honda's behind me. I'm in this 84 Zastava Jugo, 903 cc's of raw power. And this guy that got shot in the shoulder pulls out in my lane and with the swiftness of a hawk, (laughs) we averted tragedy and death. (laughs) Do that in a (laughs) pinno. Tito saved my life. It's also bulletproof is what you're saying. (laughs) Well, it survived NATO. (laughs) You have to understand, my car survived the NATO bombings. (laughs) Stop it, Peter. Compose yourself. You're a professional. Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) Okay, okay. You need okay. to come to Ohio. Uh, I will take you for drive. All right, that's a date. <laughs> uh, okay, so I am now composed. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to leave you with this. If the Yugo can survive, our country can survive. Sean Feichtenbinder takes care of a blue 87 Yugo GV in Detroit, Michigan. At his website, yugoamerica.com, he writes, The Yugo is similar to a lit-up Waffle House sign in the distance when you're riding a desolate highway late at night. It doesn't promise to fulfill all your hopes and dreams, but it does promise to be there for you and nourish you. It's not a five-star restaurant, but it will help you on your journey. It doesn't pretend to be anything it's not. Feichtenbinder plans to keep his Yugo running as long as he can drive. It is thanks to enthusiasts like Hansen and Feichtenbinder and the active members of the Yugo America Facebook group that the legend of the Yugo lives on in the United States. They are the gearhead heroes preserving the legacy of an automobile that helped define, and in a way, preserve a country that no longer exists. Next on Remembering Yugoslavia. There's a lot of travel writing from the region. Travel writing related to the Balkans tends to originate in the West, with the region as the destination and object. But travel writing by authors from the Balkans is just as plentiful, if not as visible. Who are these Balkan travel writers? What do they write about? On the next episode of Remembering Yugoslavia, travel writing by Balkan authors. Tune in wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to make sure you don't miss out. That's all for this episode of Remembering Yugoslavia. Thank you for riding along. 
Find additional information, video embeds, and a transcript of this episode at rememberingyugoslavia.com slash podcast. Outro music courtesy of Robert Petrich. Additional music by Ergo Fizmiz, Darian Campo, and Petar Argic, licensed under Creative Commons. I am Petar Korchniak. Ciao. Expensive, hard-to-maintain 24-valve engine? Not available. Exotic gadgets? Not available. Hand-fitted leather seats? Not available. What is available is dependable, basic transportation that gets you where you want to go inexpensively and trouble-free. The all-new Yugo, with one of the strongest warranties in its class. Yugo, still the lowest-priced new car in America, just $43.49. Yugo, 